This program is made possible by the financial support of listeners just like you. For details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Progressive, The David Pakman Show, The Tom Hartman Program, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Daily Show, and The Young Turks with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Daily Show. Republicans have declared all-out war on unions in Wisconsin and in other states as well. I've never seen anything this drastic in my entire lifetime. The newly elected governor of Wisconsin, Republican Scott Walker, has a new Republican state Senate and a new Republican state assembly. With all this power, he's wasted no time in putting forward a bill to make it illegal for public sector workers to bargain on anything other than wages. The bill would also make it much easier to get rid of public sector unions altogether, and he's going after public workers right away, demanding steep cuts in benefit packages for all but the police and firefighters. Many state workers are looking at losing as much as $6,000 to $8,000 a year. And Walker's even threatened to call out the National Guard to take anyone's job who refuses to go along. This smacks of pre-New Deal strong-arm tactics, but the problem is the New Deal and the Wagner Act failed to guarantee state workers the right to organize. So Republicans have been gunning for them ever since, as public workers have become the most unionized sector in the country. We must get behind public workers and their right to organize. This is a watershed moment today. Nothing short of a mass-supported general strike will be able to turn back this vicious assault. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. When the union's inspiration through the workers' blood shall run, there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun. Yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one? But the union makes us strong. I'm just fascinated, Lewis, by this Wisconsin story. I know you've been following it. And there's just so much misinformation going on around the entire scenario. The, the causes, solution to, and even reporting about what's happening. We can find... Uh, uh, just an incredible amount of misinformation for really a pretty straightforward situation. For example? Well, I don't even know where to start. I mean, number one is what's behind these protests of Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin as a result of the suggestion that he would like to eliminate collective bargaining on uh, many components of one's yearly compensation for public employees. And number one is this idea that there is a huge budget crisis and that it is just so desperate and that it is the result of what public employees make as the result of having collective bargaining. It's just, it, it could not be further from the truth. And I, I was starting to do some, some research on exactly how much money are we talking about here. And did you know, Lewis, that if we sent 150 soldiers back from Afghanistan, that would cover the entire budget deficit in Wisconsin. That's it. But we are being led to believe that this is a union-based disaster, and unions and collective bargaining must be eliminated. It's unbelievable. I mean, it, it, go ahead, Lewis. If, if, if that's the amount of money we're talking about, then why is all of this happening in the first place? You know why. 
You, you come on, Lewis is playing coy with us, ladies and gentlemen. But you know why, and I know why, and really, people on both sides of the issues know why, and we'll get to that. But the state Wisconsin was on course to end 2011 with a budget surplus of 120 million dollars. Okay, then Scott Walker is elected and signs in two business tax breaks and a conservative health care policy that uh, lowers overall tax revenues, among other things, and this was not offset by anything. So he created the deficit from a surplus. Now, Republicans are hoping to deflect attention from that, and they've been doing it successfully. They want to deflect attention from the increasing share of total income and wealth that goes to the richest 1% while the jobs and ability to bargain collectively for benefits is allowed to just disappear. This is a three-part strategy, and let's get to what you're talking about, Lewis. Where, what is the source of this? What is really going on? It's very simple. And Alternet outlined this brilliantly. Three-part strategy here. Number one is the battle over the federal budget. Okay. And what we are seeing there is the squeezing out, we talked about it on the last show, squeeze out the middle class programs under the guise of fiscal responsibility, right? We're at a place now where the Tea Party activists and similar faux conservatives have, have been pushed into this frenzy. I mean, it's, they're literally chomping at the bit, Lewis, under the guise of fiscal responsibility. So they will accept the elimination of policies and programs that benefit them. Because they have been bamboozled into thinking that that is going to drive the country bankrupt. That's part one. Okay. What's part two? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Lewis is prompting me very well here today. Part two is the assault on public employees. Okay. And we're seeing that in Wisconsin. And this is blame unions, blame public employees, both their salaries and the fact that there's just there's too many public employees. Right. Government is too big. We hear that often. Blame the deficit on that. Blame the debt on that. Blame states going bankrupt on that. And this is part of the corporate power. This is part of going after teachers, for example, who make 30000 a year and putting that in the media discourse as the problem with barely a mention of Wall Streeters making millions off of not teaching children, but, now in, but off of manipulating money. In some states, what teachers are making is a problem. But Wisconsin isn't one of them. There are individual cases where teachers have uh, been in the system long enough and they have taken advantage of some policies and are making more than other teachers are making. But you know what? I think teachers deserve it. That's, that's my thing. I think teachers are drastically underpaid. And the fact that the context is that teachers shouldn't make a lot of money is part of the problem. Now, I get it. People will say, well, salaries are commensurate. It's a free market system. And salaries are equivalent to the amount of productivity that that individual is producing. Well, I would reject that completely when it comes to teachers. Because how can you say all of the people that are going through their classes and all of the productivity that is derived from that teaching over the life of those students, is that really the game you want to play? So I reject that completely, Lewis. But there are other factors... There are other factors. Class size, amount of schools, amount of teachers. No question about it. Those factors are there. So that was part two, this attack that we're seeing on public employees. And part three that is being used to manipulate faux conservatives and those that have been riled up into a lather is distortion of the Constitution. 
Okay, and I'm going to tell you right now, Republicans have a head start on that because we have right now one of the most politicized, corrupt Supreme Courts in a long time. One dollar, one vote, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, come on. So we need to identify the strategy, which I've just done. We need to be aware of it when we think about what is what are we seeing on TV? What narratives are we hearing about? Teachers getting benefits is the are, 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 that's that's a waste of money but no discussion of the wall streeters and don't get bogged down in the minutia right because when we start hearing about the minutia of individual health care policies in wisconsin you're losing sight of the big picture hundred and fifty troops home from afghanistan would fix wisconsin's so-called budget crisis and you know what ending the afghanistan war altogether would save taxpayers $1.7 billion just in Wisconsin. This is more than 10 times the amount that would be saved if Scott Walker's attack on state rights were successful. Isn't that amazing, Lewis? The numbers are amazing. It, it's just the way that this has been misrepresented is unbelievable. Now, let's talk about media coverage of this to move on to the next sham and bamboozling that we are seeing. If you turn on conservative media, Fox News led, led with this over the weekend, but they are not alone in this. You will see the narrative, Lewis, that the Democratic National Committee and Organizing for America are encouraging people to get out and protest, even though they really don't personally want to do that, right? They are being tricked by these liberal organizations and that this is astroturf. It is not grassroots. This is completely wrong. Okay, and as we'll talk, we'll talk to Frank Emsbach later, and he'll tell us the people protesting are actually the people from Wisconsin that are affected here. No mention of the fact that Breitbart, our friends, the Cook brothers, are bussing in from out of state the pro Walker protesters. So that's it, it, it is it is astroturf, ladies and gentlemen. And what does Fox News do? I just flip around, see who's covering what. Fox News, they've got the reporter in the crowd there. All of the signs that you see on the camera are pro-Scott Walker signs or anti-union signs. And, Lewis, what happens? They go right over to, to a, uh, a middle-aged woman and they say, why are you here? And Find she's, people that have uh, the right answers to their questions. Exactly. And she, the woman presents brilliantly. I mean, she's literally, I, I would be surprised if she w didn't just get off the bus and read on her, on her Blackberry the talking points why she is there. And it does not seem authentic at all. And you know what? You need fake drama and fake outrage and, and getting people fired up with false data to even get these people out on the streets to protest in favor of Scott Walker. Why else would they do it? Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com.
In Wisconsin, we're confronted by the spectacle of Republican Governor Scott Walker taking over a state with a budget surplus, pushing through the Republican-controlled legislature $140 million in tax giveaways to his business funders, and then declaring that his state was $137 million in debt. Now he's saying two years out he's going to be over $3 billion in debt. That was $137 million. Presumably because of his tax cuts to his business buddies. To pay that debt, he proposed state workers take a huge pay cut. They'd already given up over $100 million. And they're actually willing to, to sit down and negotiate with them. And they've already said in advance, fine, we'll, we'll give you everything you want. Pay, pensions, all of it. We just want the right to have our union and to have collective bargaining, which means we get to negotiate with you or with you know whoever the local group is. But then out came the knife in the back. Walker and the Republicans is part of a concerted, well-funded, nationwide effort. And I'm going to go into this in considerable detail later in the program. Lee Fong is going to be with us. The Center for American Progress has got some amazing statistics and stories and information here uh, in, in as we go through these three hours. This is a well-funded nationwide effort to destroy public employee unions, frankly all unions, but now the strongest left are public employee unions, so they're going after them. Walker and the Republicans wrote a law that would forbid state employees their rights to collectively bargain. Collectively bargain means they all get together, they vote on a leader, they vote on a position, that person goes into the room, negotiates with the state, comes back out, says, okay, here's what we've worked out, everybody gets to vote on it. To negotiate with their employers. Things like employee safety conditions, vacations, pensions, pretty much everything else except pay. Now, doing away with collective bargaining would totally neuter the union. There's no reason to have a union. Which is why Scott Walker wants it done that way. He even wrote into the bill that the state would stop deducting union dues from union members' paychecks so they'd have to write individual paychecks creating bookkeeping havoc for union households. Similar bills are being proposed in Ohio and Indiana. It's just a matter of time before they hit Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and other Republican-controlled states. This is not about budgets, deficits, pensions, or pay. It's not even really about the right of unions to negotiate with employers like the state of Wisconsin. At the end of the day, this is about single-party rule. You see, the Republicans have this fantasy. They want to be the only ones in charge. In exchange for this power, they'll do whatever their billionaire and multi-million, multinational, excuse me, corporate sponsors want, regardless of its impact on America. We're already seeing this with the changes since the Reagan administration and revolution in our trade policies, our labor policies, and the war on public education. They're trying to turn America into a banana republic, a nation of serfs, of peons, the predictable result of trickle-down economics. And a terrified working poor, like Dickens wrote about Bob Cratchit in A Christmas Carol in 1843. Back, by the way, when there were still maximum wage laws, you couldn't pay a person over a certain amount for many jobs. Why? To keep the the working poor the working poor and quiet. So why do modern conservatives do this? Because they think it's the best thing for America. Because they believe democracy is fundamentally dangerous. They call it mob rule. Many of them on this program have have shared that with you. And they think society should be run by a noble elite in order for it to run best. Who who are the people that God wants to run? Well, obviously the rich. They're blessed by God, right? Look to their founding literature and philosophers. In 1951, Russell Kirk wrote a book called The Conservative Mind. It was then and is to this day the Bible of modern conservatism often quoted extensively by people like the late William F. Buckley Jr., 
Barry Goldwater, all the way up to the modern Tea Party. The first chapter of his book, The Conservative Mind, was about Sir Edmund Burke, the British conservative thinker, who got in such an argument with Thomas Paine in the late 1700s that Paine wrote an entire book called The Rights of Man as a rebuttal to Burke. Burke did not believe in democracy. He thought only the rich and powerful should be allowed to vote. He said, it does me no harm if a man is allowed to engage in a profession as servile as hairdresser or candle maker, but it does society considerable violence if such a person should be allowed to participate in politics. The poor shouldn't be able to vote or even to run for public office. To allow such thing, Burke said, is to be at war with nature. Now, Burke was Russell Kirk's hero, and Kirk and his book, The Conservative Mind, was Goldwater and Reagan's hero and continues today to, f- to inspire the funders of the Tea Party. When I was working in Russia some years ago, a friend of Kaliningrad told me a perhaps apocryphal story about Nikita Khrushchev, who, following Stalin's death, gave a speech to the Politburo denouncing Stalin's policies. He's putting down Stalin. A few minutes into Khrushchev's anti-Stalin diatribe, somebody shouted, Why didn't you challenge him then the way you are now? Room fell silent. The room fell silent as Khrushchev looked around the room and said, Who said that? The room fell... uh, The room was silent. He swept. He, he he looks around the room with a more angry glare. Who said that? He said in a reasonable voice. Silence. Leaning forward, Khrushchev demanded, "Who said that?" Silence. Pounding his fist on the podium to accent each word, he screamed, "Who said that?" Still no answer. Finally, after a long and strained silence, the elected the politicians in the room, fearful to even cough, corner Khrushchev's mouth lifted in a smile. Now you know, he said with a chuckle, why I did not speak up against Stalin when I sat where you now sit. When I said that the Republican war on organized labor is about creating single-party rule, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Stop people from voting, at least those most likely to vote Democratic, as Paul Weyrich told a group of Republican Christian activists a generation ago. Now many of our Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome, good government. They want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. This is the guy who helped make Ronald Reagan president. Stop people from organizing. Become the last large group that can turn out Democratic voters. Uh, because, excuse me, because the last large group that can turn out vote, Democratic voters, both with money and with shoe leather, going door to door. It's organized labor. If you can block the poor and urban and old from voting, which they did by destroying ACORN, and destroy the last organization that can turn out Democratic voters, the unions, then you can have single-party rep- rule. The Republicans are trying to invent a single-party nation so they can remake America in their idea of paradise. A paradise where hairdressers and candle makers have no say in governing. And the noble rich make all the decisions. Now that's what's at stake. What's at stake here is, frankly, the future of democracy in America. What's at stake here is the future of a two-party system that at least has two parties. My
I'm here to report that there is nothing wrong in the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin is fine. Wisconsin is great, actually. Uh, despite what you may have heard about Wisconsin's finances, Wisconsin is on track to have a budget surplus this year. I am not kidding. I'm quoting their own version of the Congressional Budget Office, the state's own nonpartisan assess the state's finances agency. That agency said the month that the new Republican governor of Wisconsin was sworn in last month that the state was on track to have a $120 million budget surplus this year. So um, then why exactly does Wisconsin look like this right now? Why is there a revolt in the American Midwest tonight? Why are we in day three of massive, massive protests? Real upheaval in Wisconsin's capital city of Madison. Why are we seeing what was described today by my friend John Nichols, a seventh generation Wisconsinite, as perhaps the biggest protests that have been seen in that state since Vietnam? Why is this, look at this, why is this happening? As the state's own finances show, it is not happening because people who work for the state are the cause of some horrible budget crisis. It's not because teachers are lazy and rich. It's not because greedy snowplow drivers have bankrupted the state somehow. The state is not bankrupt. Even though the state had started the year on track to have a budget surplus, now there is in fact a $137 million budget shortfall. Republican Governor Scott Walker, coincidentally, has given away $140 million worth of business tax breaks since he came into office. Hey, wait, that's about exactly the size of the shortfall. What is happening in Wisconsin right now has absolutely nothing to do with public workers. The headline here, the way this keeps getting shorthanded is workers angry after state is forced by budget crisis to crack down. That's not what's going on. The state is not being forced to crack down. A lot of states do have budget crises right now, but heading into this year, Wisconsin was not one of them. The main headline that you are seeing right now about this remarkable thing, look at these images, this remarkable thing that's going on in the American Midwest, the headlines you are seeing about this are mostly wrong. Because what's going on right now in the American Midwest is about Republicans versus Democrats. It is about politics. It is about who wins the next election and the elections after that. That's what's going on right now in Wisconsin. This is about the survival of the Democratic Party. There are, there are parts of the story that actually don't make any sense unless you understand that. One thing that doesn't make sense, Wisconsin's Republican governor, this guy Scott Walker, has uh, proposed essentially dismantling all of the unions for everybody who works for the government, right? That's what this is all about. Uh, he has proposed dismantling the unions for people who work for the government, except for cops and firefighters and state troopers. Why are they exempt? Is it because they're all law enforcement and emergency services, therefore they, they need unions more than other state employees? Well, it can't really be that um, because corrections officers are among those who are getting the shaft, while the cops and the firefighters and the state troopers are specifically exempt. Okay, what's the other thing that's true about these three specific unions who are exempted from this crackdown? Cops, firefighters, and state troopers. What's the other thing about them? Oh, those are the three exact unions that supported the Republican governor in the last election. So they get taken care of, everybody else gets dismantled. That should have been the first hint that this maybe was about politics and not about a fiscal crisis. Here's another hint. If this union busting thing that's on the table right now is all supposedly about fiscal realities,
it's all nothing personal, we just got to take these dramatic actions, we got to save some money. Then why does this supposed budget bill have stuff in it with no fiscal impact at all? Stuff that saves the state of Wisconsin no money, brings in no additional revenue, cuts no spending. Stripping collective bargaining rights from specific groups of people who work for the state is something that has zero fiscal impact. So why do that? What's happening in Wisconsin right now is not about a budget. This is about elections. This is about the Republican Party going after the institutions that make it possible for Democrats to win elections in America. I think that um, people sometimes confuse uh, the idea of liberal with the idea of optimist. I am living proof that these two things do not always coincide. I'm pretty much as liberal as they come. Uh, I generally see things as darkly as you possibly can. Uh, like, you know how people say, um, the people united can never be defeated? My version of that has always been, um, the people united make a bigger target. You've probably also seen uh, this liberal bumper sticker at some point uh, in your life, right? It's the one fish that looks really calm and happy, about to get... <gasps> eaten by the even bigger fish. But that bigger fish is actually made up of tiny little fish that have organized themselves into a fish shape, right? The, the idea here is that small numbers of people organized together can defeat large enemies. It's nice, right? This is a nice liberal idea. But I, I have always imagined that to have a third element. <laughs> See, I told you I'm the dark cloud. Yes, it is great to have a whole lot of tiny little fish organized and doing the same thing. That can be very impressive, but if a giant sharky fish comes along, then all those little fish can go in one big sharky bite. It is not sweet or sentimental, but that is the rough and illiberal and basic mathematical truth of politics, particularly of money in politics. It is, it is great to have a lot of like-minded people individually, you know, doing their own thing, pulling for the cause. It is great, it's often heartwarming to see it. But what is really, really great is to have some freaking heavy hitters on your side when it's important for you to win. To have institutions, organizations, committees, PACs, political parties that can make big impact political moves. That can keep up with or even outspend the organizations on the other side. You know, there's a reason that all those oil billionaires that Karl Rove has on speed dial, uh, th there is a reason that those oil billionaires don't just make their own individual I'm an oil billionaire campaign contributions. They pool all of their money in Karl Rove's American Crossroads organization, so then Karl Rove can make multi-million dollar impact moves in election years. It is nice to have a lot of little fish, but sometimes it is the biggest fish that eats the best. In 2008, the groups that spent the most money on elections that year were the Chamber of Commerce, the giant right-wing pack Freedom's Watch, the National Rifle Association, and hey, wait, what are all those weird little initials? Oh, yes, Service Employees International Union and the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, the Public Employees Union. In 2010, Post Citizens United, seven of the top 10 outside spending groups in the election were all right wing. Chamber of Commerce, both of Karl Rove's groups, the American Future Fund, Americans for Job Security, all of these right wing groups, the only non-conservative groups that cracked the top 10 were the Public Employees Union, the SEIU, and the Teachers Union. That's it. Unions are the only competition Republicans have in electoral politics. Post Citizens United, Conservatives look at this and they smell blood. 
I mean, compare this to 08. They have knocked the unions down to sixth and seventh place. Without unions, essentially all of the big money in politics would be right-wing money. All of it. That is not hyperbole. All of it. Unions are the only players. They are the only fish of any size on the liberal side. And, you know, it is nice to think, well, you know, I have this really awesome PTA group. Bake sales. I've got a uh, meet-up, drinking liberally, book club, honk for peace thing that I do on Wednesdays. We could probably raise some money. It is true that those are good things. It does all matter. But nothing matters as much as this. I realize it is not romantic sounding, but this is really how it works in politics. This decides who wins elections and who loses them. And if Republicans can use public policy to destroy their only competition for big political money, if they can use public policy to destroy the only major institutions that help democratic causes at election time, then Republicans can run the table. Beyond just the money, though, a move like this also destroys the get-out-the-vote and organizational capacity of unions, which makes a huge difference on Election Day. You may remember we went to Nevada to cover the Harry Reid-Sharon Engel Senate race right before the elections in November. Essentially, every poll in the state said Sharon Engel was going to win that race. But you know who was working their butts off for their chosen candidate, who was Harry Reid? These guys were. The Culinary Workers Union in Las Vegas. This is what we saw. We shot this footage ourselves. We got, we got on the ground in Nevada just days before the election. Culinary Union working around the clock, going door to door to round up votes for Harry Reid, to get people to the polls on election day and to get them there for early voting. Nevada has two weeks of early voting, so we try to do turnout every day because it's convenient, it's easy, and it's a lot uh, quicker than on election day. Obviously, we'll do election day too, but uh, more than half the vote will be in early voting, so it's important. If you were a Republican politician and you had the chance to dismantle an organization like that, an organization that was helping the other side, wouldn't you do it? What's happening in Wisconsin right now is about Republicans versus Democrats. It is about elections. We saw the same thing with ACORN. You remember the right-wing jihad against ACORN? What did ACORN do to earn that? Well, ACORN, for years, registered huge numbers of minority voters and poor voters. Minority voters and poor voters overwhelmingly vote Democratic when they vote. There were not any real problems with the way that ACORN registered people. This whole ACORN voter fraud epidemic was essentially made up out of whole cloth. The only problem with ACORN and its voter registration is that they were really good at it. And that helped Democrats. You know what else ACORN did? They did really smart political organizing and really smart political strategy. They put things like raise the minimum wage proposals on the ballot in states that had key elections. Why is that important? Well, first, I mean, raising the minimum wage is a nice thing to do for poor people. It's also nice for the economy as a whole, it turns out. Second, when you ask people if they want to raise the minimum wage, people essentially unanimously scream yes. It almost always passes, and it almost always passes by large margins. But third, raising the minimum wage is such a popular idea that there's some evidence it actually causes people to go out and vote who would not otherwise vote. It raises voter turnout, particularly among liberal voters who then, since they're there anyway, are likely to also cast their votes for Democratic politicians. I mean, they are there already. What anti-gay marriage ballot initiatives are to Republican voter turnout, we all learned that lesson. Higher minimum wage ballot initiatives are to Democratic voter turnout. And ACORN spearheaded that. Smart. ACORN was not a Democratic organization, but ACORN's work was very politically beneficial to the Democratic Party, and so therefore the right decided that ACORN had to be destroyed. 
and unions. Unions are not democratic organizations, but unions' work is beneficial to the Democratic Party. They are the only institution of any side on the liberal side of the equation. Corporate America, all of corporate America is on the Republican side. The only institutions of any size with any heft at all on the liberal side are the unions. So of course they too must be destroyed. This is an existential fight for the Democratic Party. This is about whether or not the Democratic Party exists. This is why Republicans want to do this so bad. If you break the public sector unions in Wisconsin, then you can break them anywhere. And if you break them everywhere, then it is bake sales versus billionaires for not only this next election, but for every election here on out. Republicans run the table. Bake sales on one side, billionaires on the other. That's it. This is an existential fight for the Democratic Party. Democrats who don't get that, are being willfully ignorant. This is an existential fight for the Democratic Party and that's why Democrats in Wisconsin are doing what they are doing right now in Wisconsin. That's why Wisconsin looks the way it does right now. That's why the streets of Madison were shut down to traffic today because of the sheer number of people who turned out. That's why people slept in the Capitol Rotunda overnight. That's why the state legislature looked like this today. Democratic legislators wearing orange t-shirts that read assembly Democrats fighting for working families. And that is why 14 Democratic state senators in Wisconsin went AWOL today. They refused to turn up for the anti-union vote scheduled in the state Senate today. Right around noon, these Democrats just disappeared. And in their absence, the Republicans could not get a quorum, and therefore they were unable to hold their big anti-union vote, which they planned to hold today and they planned to win. To avoid the threat of being forcibly returned to the state capitol, Democratic senators did not just not turn up at the state legislature today, they fled the state. What is happening in Wisconsin right now is not about the budget. It is not about teacher tenure. It is not about whether or not librarians have too good a dental plan. That is not what this is about. This is about Republicans versus Democrats and whether or not the Democratic Party will continue to compete with the Republican Party. Whether or not the Democratic Party will continue to exist in any meaningful sense. Audible, an Amazon company, may have 85,000 audiobooks, but they don't have my favorite book of all time, The Solitaire Mystery by Yostine Garter. It's out of print, hard to come by, and the audio version only comes on cassette tapes. So you could go to audiblepodcast.com slash best to get a free audiobook of your choice, and I'm not saying you won't find anything worth reading, I'm just saying you'll have to settle for one of the 85,000 books that doesn't contain the most fun and insightful story I've ever read. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to be only minorly disappointed by the selection of audiobooks available. The labor unrest in Wisconsin has effects that go far beyond the public sector. As Representative Paul Ryan reminds us, it's fine. I, people should be able to express their way, but we've got to get this deficit and debt under control in Madison if we want to have a good business climate and job creation in Wisconsin. Yes, because if anyone knows what makes a welcoming climate, it's Wisconsin. <laughs> but he makes a good point. This country must make changes in the way that we do business if we are to appeal more to corporations. So American workforce... Meet me at camera three. <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> doing good? You're a little angry, aren't you? You're a little angry. 
You don't understand why corporations don't look at you the same way they did in the good old days before collective bargaining allowed you to limit when and where they could look at you. <laughs> you thought you were making the sacrifices necessary to raise a middle class together with the corporations, but while you were home on weekends or federally mandated holidays or having your dental work, <laughs> your corporation was off banging Mexico, India, or China's industries. <laughs> and now you want them back. Well, it's not like he hasn't been telling you what turns him on. I would argue there are some additional tax cuts we need to make. When we're dealing with a 35% tax on business, when the world average is 18%, we're increasingly uncompetitive. Who wants 35 when they can get 18? <laughs> like any, like any red-blooded American company, he wants a corporate tax rate that's barely legal. <laughs> and believe me, he can get that in Cambodia, no questions asked. And that's just for starters. In the old days, American worker, you were wild and exciting. You would do it all night and all day, seven days a week in every room, even the ones with no fire exits. <laughs> but now when he rolls over and he announces he wants to start drilling, you're all, oh no, mister, not here. Not without protection. Documents describe bad wiring and a leak in the so-called blowout preventer. Even a dead battery may have played a role in it all. Some House members say that this proves there needs to be more regulation. But when I wear a blowout preventer, I barely feel like I'm drilling. <laughs> and the constant nagging. Corporations left with their own devices will not self-regulate. BP, Wall Street, those are all examples. Leave Wall Street alone, and then they ruin the economy. Leave the oil companies alone, and then they ruin the Gulf. You can't trust the corporations to police themselves. <laughs> India and China understand corporations. India and China let them be themselves. Corporation wants to come home late, reeking of DDT and salmonella, and go wake the kids up because it's time for their shift. That's cool! <laughs> They just want them to be happy. Look, you knew they were sociopaths when you married them. <laughs> Not that there haven't been hints at what you might do to create a more welcome corporate atmosphere. It's time uh, for our unions to step forward and take a cut. If we don't cut the size of the payroll or cut uh, salaries here, uh, we can't afford uh, the uh, the services that, that are associated with the people who do that work. The average teacher salary in Wisconsin, here it is, $51,121. That's just salaries. Pretty nice, Professor Trump. <laughs> so, American workers, slim down, work more for less in conditions. And I'm not talking half-pay Saturdays and partial dental. Oh, the corporations are saying you're looking good and they really appreciate the effort. But the truth is, if you want first world corporations to think you're attractive, you're going to need a third world makeover. This family does your job for 70 pesos a week. So if you really want corporations back and you really mean it, next year's Christmas card could be a reality. <laughs> but you gotta want it. But the banks are made of marble. With a guard at every door And the bolts are stuffed with silver 
that the farmer sweated for. I've seen the seamen standing idly by the shore, and I heard their bosses saying, "Got no work for you no more." But the banks are made of marble, with a guard at every door. Oh, some of the other Republican governors running for the hills. Let me make a quick point about that. So now Kasich in Ohio is saying, Wait, did, I, did I say taking away collective bargaining rights? I don't know about that. I mean, of course, everybody's got a right to protest and God bless their hearts. And then uh, Mitch Daniels, who had taken away collective bargaining rights already in Indiana, who was going to uh, go after private unions and Republican legislators in his state had already begun that, all of a sudden he's like, oh, no, no, the protests are great. What are you talking about? Us here doing that? No, 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 we're not doing that. Even Rick Scott and Chris Christie, to some degree, are backpedaling. Now, those guys are extreme in Florida and New Jersey. So, you know what? The good people of Wisconsin, you did a great great service for the rest of the country. I don't know if you're going to win that battle in Wisconsin. I really don't know. I hope you do, and I and I have I believe and I have faith, etc., and keep fighting, right? But win or lose that specific battle, I, I really think you sent a message to the rest of the country, and you've got these extreme Republican governors backpedaling right now, and they don't want to, uh, you know, take you guys on. They don't want to create another situation where they've got protesters standing up and saying, look, uh, we're the middle class and we're not going to go away and we're not going to let you pin this on us and we're not going to let you, uh, you know, cut our pay and take away our rights without a fight. And so you sent a really powerful message and I think it really worked. And so when we talk about, hey, don't rely on the president, don't rely on leadership, this is the perfect example of that. The, you know, Obama didn't show up. He, he wasn't going to show up. He wasn't going to put on his shoes to come. Nobody from Washington showed up. Nobody. But good riddance to them. What happened? People rose up. They did good old-fashioned democratic protests, what we're supposed to do in this country. And they stopped the momentum of union busting throughout the country that the Republicans were definitely planning. How do we know they were definitely planning it? Among other reasons, because when Governor Walker was talking to the fake David Koch, the guy he thought was his billionaire donor, he said, oh, Coke, the fake Coke says, oh, I um, can't wait for the domino effect. And Walker says, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this is our moment. Well, it turns out it wasn't your moment, Scott Walker. When uh, you blew it and, uh, and other Republicans are running away from you. Huckabee was joking about Walker saying, oh, I was late to, uh, to this event because I had to take a 20-minute call from a donor, et cetera. You become a joke now. I can't be prouder of the people of Wisconsin. You did such a great job, not just for your own state and for your own jobs and for your own rights, but for all of us. When the boss comes calling, you put us down. When the boss comes calling, you stand your ground. When the boss comes calling, don't believe their lies. When the boss comes calling, he'll take his toe. When the boss comes calling, don't you sell your soul. When the boss comes calling, we got to organize. Let them know.
I was just on a radio show with one of Wisconsin's Fab 14, the Democratic state senators who crossed state lines to block Governor Walker's savage attack on unions. I just loved what State Senator Bob Jauk had to say. Jauk, who hails from northern Wisconsin, said Walker's trying to destroy what's best about the state. Not mincing any words, he said Walker was acting more recklessly than any governor in decades. Calling Walker's bill the Worker Retribution Act, Jauk says Walker wrapped this bomb in a package and called it a cake. He said the governor's attacking workers to benefit the Koch brothers, the right-wing billionaires in Texas who lavishly funded his campaign. And get this, Jauk says the Republicans in the state Senate aren't exactly a united bunch. There are six to seven Republican senators that hate this bill, really hate this bill, said Jauk on WOJB radio this morning. Republicans outnumber Democrats 19 to 14 in the state Senate, so if three vote against it, the bill would die. Unlike the Republican senators, Jauk says the Democratic ones are united. Speaking from an undisclosed location in Illinois, he said none of them wants to be the one who hands Walker a victory. I should hope not. We sure have had enough of Democratic traitors. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 dollars a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. You know, the team that won the Super Bowl uh, in professional football this year is a team that does not have an owner. It is a team that is collectively owned by 112,000 people. Uh, people who are fans of the team and who own it together. Uh, the team is a nonprofit. <laughs> that team, of course, is from Wisconsin, from Green Bay, Wisconsin. It is hard to imagine them being from anywhere else. This is what Wisconsin looks like. Right. Uh, this right here is the town of Union, Wisconsin. Uh, I guess I should have uh, specified which one I meant because actually there are seven towns in the state of Wisconsin that are called Union. It's not North Union and West Union and East Union. No, they're all just called Union, Wisconsin. There is a Union, Wisconsin in Pierce County. There is a Union, Wisconsin in Burnett County. There is a Union, Wisconsin in Door County where they make Death's Door Gin, which is delicious. There are seven towns in Wisconsin called Union. They are all over the state. You know the whole concept of unemployment insurance? That while you're employed, you essentially pay a small part of your paycheck as kind of an insurance premium for unemployment insurance. Then if you get laid off, that system pays you unemployment benefits. You know where we got that system from? Wisconsin. Wisconsin enacted the nation's first unemployment compensation law in 1932. You know the whole workers' comp idea, workers' compensation? You know where we got that from? Wisconsin. 
In 1911, Wisconsin passed the nation's first statewide workers' compensation law. It eventually made it so employers had to provide payment, compensation to their employees if the employee got hurt on the job. It made it so that employers would provide compensation for any loss of life or limb that occurred on the job. Doesn't seem like that crazy an idea. You get killed on the job or you lose an arm on the job, you or your family get compensation for that. Everything that we think of now as workers' compensation, thank you, Wisconsin. Uh, when most of us think about Wisconsin now, we think about the Packers, uh, cheeseheads, cheese curds, Laverne and Shirley, happy days, the Fonz. Oh God, how I love the Fonz. Hello, Mr. Winkler. That's what we think about when we think about Wisconsin, right? But for most of American history before now, when Americans have thought about Wisconsin, about what Wisconsin means to the rest of America, we have had to think about the rights of people who work for a living. You know how today is Friday? Oh, how I love Friday. Friday. Today was a particularly beautiful Friday here in New York City. But even the worst day in the world is a good day if it is a Friday. And why is that? Because after Friday is the weekend. And for most people working most kind of jobs in America, weekends are days off. The whole concept of the weekend, again, thank you, Wisconsin. The eight-hour workday and the 40-hour workweek was a national movement. But seven protesters died in 1886 in Wisconsin while marching for the eight-hour workday and ultimately what we all know as the weekend. That happened in Wisconsin 124 years ago. The governor of Wisconsin at the time ordered the state militia to shoot to kill any protester who entered the mill that they were marching on for that right. The militia did open fire. Seven protesters were killed. Those lives were lost to that cause, but that cause prevailed. And in all likelihood, you get tomorrow off. In 1954, about 35% of wage and salary employees in America were in unions, about 35%. By the year 2000, that was down to 13%. By 2010, it was down to less than 12%. Here's one thing to understand about what's going on in Wisconsin right now. The national figure right now for belonging to a union is 11.9%, right? That is the percentage of people who have full-time jobs in America who are in a union. That's it. But if you divide that, if you're willing to look closely at that, you divide that into private sector and public sector, among people who work in the private sector, only about 7% are in unions. But among people who work in the public sector, boing. That number's still pretty healthy. In fact, that's about the same proportion of the whole country that was in a union back in 1954. Remember those days, commonly referred to as the happy days? More than one in three Fonzies was in a union back in the mid-1950s. And that is still true today of the Fonzies who work in the public sector. 36% of public sector employees in this country are in a union. The biggest public sector union in the country was founded where? Ah, Wisconsin. The American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees was founded in Madison, Wisconsin. And less than a generation later, Wisconsin became one of the first states in the nation to establish collective bargaining rights for public sector employees in a union. This is where this stuff comes from. This is why even as the Middle East is blowing up right now, and, and, and Congress has been in session until after midnight, three nights this week, and Russia has undertaken taken a fake mission to Mars that they admit is fake, even while there's all of this kind of amazing stuff going on elsewhere in the world and in our own country and even in our own politics, this is why the eyes of the country are firmly fixed on Wisconsin. This is why if the Republicans win in Wisconsin, 
If they beat the unions and break the unions in Wisconsin, they run the table in the rest of the country. This is why. If you can bust public unions in Wisconsin, you can bust them anywhere. Wisconsin is where it started in our country. Wisconsin is the alpha and the omega of the rights of people who work for a living in this country. Wisconsinites are the people who gave that to the rest of the country. They are the ones who set the standard. They are the ones who died for it in some cases. You want to know why Wisconsinites are fighting? As we discussed on last night's show, the Republican Party has every reason in the world to try to break up unions right now. The Republican Party has corporate America on their side. And of course, corporate America has always wanted to break up unions. That's why it was so hard to get those rights in the first place. All of those traditional incentives in terms of business versus labor, those still apply. But the corporate split in American politics right now, in American politics right now, makes the incentives here so direct for the Republican Party. We talked about this last night on the show, and from the reaction we got last night and today, we seem to have touched a nerve here. This is what big money in American politics looks like. In 2008, the groups that spent the most money on the elections were the Chamber of Commerce, Freedom's Watch, and the NRA, all on the right, uh, and on the left, two unions. The Service Employees International Union, uh, which you may have heard described on Fox News as you know, the root of all evil in the world, uh, and the Wisconsin-founded Public Sector Union that we talked about earlier, AFSCME. The only top five big spenders for Democrats in 2008, the only top five big spenders for Democrats were unions. And then look at what happened in the next election. Look at what happened in 2010. Look what happened after the Supreme Court's Citizen United ruling. The big money on the right skyrocketed. Of the top 10 outside spending groups in last year's elections, seven of them were right-wing groups. Groups like the Chamber of Commerce and Karl Rove's organizations, which are mostly founded by, uh, funded by billionaires. Conservative groups like the American Future Fund. The only non-conservative groups that cracked the top 10 in the last election were the Public Employees Union and the SEIU and the Teachers Union. That's it. In terms of large-scale money spent in elections, unions are the only competition that Republicans have. They are the only institution of any side on the liberal side of the equation, uh, any size on the liberal side of the equation. Corporate America, essentially all of corporate America is on the Republican side. The only institutions of any size with any heft at all on the liberal side are the unions. After the Citizens United ruling came out, this ruling that allows corporations to spend endlessly on elections, you know, the, the defensive explanation given by many on the right about why that ruling wasn't just stacking every election in the Republicans' favor, their defensive explanation for that was, hey, you know, unions can spend endlessly too. That's why it was supposedly a fair ruling for both sides. But okay, if you crush the unions, let's say you get those public sector unions down from 30-something percent of employees down to like 7% where they are for the private sector. Let's say you do that. Then the only remaining institutions spending endlessly on elections will be corporations. The only institutions that will benefit from Citizens United to be able to spend endlessly on elections, who can spend endlessly, will be corporations. Corporations who donate their money disproportionately to right-wing groups and spend on Republican candidates. The Chamber of Commerce's donations in the last election cycle were 93% Republican. 93%. And nobody spent more than they did. In terms of substantial, game-changing money players in politics, unions are it. They are the only big players on the liberal side. They are the only, only fish of any real size on the liberal side. And so they must be destroyed. 
The Republican Party right now has the most direct incentive you can possibly imagine to use public policy to destroy unions. 36% of public employees are unionized. Oh no, that cannot stand. Get rid of the public employee unions altogether. Just get rid of them. Personally, not, yeah. I cannot say that Scott Walker would. Personally, I would, yes. You'd like to get rid of the unions. So you don't believe in collective bargaining for public employees, period. No, I, I don't think public employees need collective bargaining. That's, that's correct. That's correct. Absolutely. Public employees should not be in unions, says the Republican state senator from Wisconsin. Democrats do not tend to think like this. Uh, but Republicans, influenced by the conservative movement, they are pretty good at taking the long view about using public policy for partisan purposes. This is one thing they actually do really like government for, using public policy to dismantle the institutions that make it possible for Democrats to win elections. So what's happening right now in Wisconsin with this effort to dismantle, get rid of public sector unions, that's gonna happen in Ohio, it's gonna happen in New Jersey, it's gonna happen in Indiana, it's gonna happen all over the country wherever there are Republican governors. It's to make public sector unions go away in terms of high level money, which is not a romantic idea, but it does decide who wins elections by and large. In terms of high level money, unions are the only competition Republicans have, so they are under assault by public policy. They are under assault by Republican governors. It is the same reasoning that explains why Republicans in states all over the country this year, like they have for many years, are also trying to make it harder to register to vote. Is there a voter fraud epidemic in this country? No, there's almost no serious evidence of voter fraud anywhere in the country. But if you make it harder to register to vote, then you make it harder to register new voters. And that is something the Democratic Party has long relied on for its electoral strength. First time voters, young voters, immigrant citizen voters, those people tend to vote Democratic. And so the process to get them signed up must be stopped. The last time any legislators did what these Wisconsin Senate Democrats have done, the last time any legislators fled their own state to try to block their legislature from doing something, it was over again. Republicans using public policy for partisan purposes, using public policy to try to institutionally disadvantage the Democratic Party so Democrats can't win elections. It was in the great state of Texas. It actually relates to the thing that Tom DeLay is going to jail for. Uh, Tom DeLay took corporate money, he laundered it through the National Republican Party in order to engineer a restructuring of the Texas congressional delegation so that four fewer Democrats and four more Republicans would go to the U.S. Congress from Texas to stop the legislature from doing that. Democrats in Texas fled the state. They went to Oklahoma first and then later they went to New Mexico. But you know how that one ended? It ended when one of the Democrats who fled the state gave in to the pressure from Republicans and came back which is all that Republicans needed. They only needed one. They passed their plan. Ultimately, the Texas congressional delegation lost four Democrats and gained four Republicans. The institutional balance of power shifted. When the Texas Democrats fled the state to stop Republicans from using public policy to institutionally shift the balance of power in the state, to institutionalize Republican rule, Texas Republicans just needed to peel off one of those Democrats to win the standoff. They only needed one and they got it. You know how many Democrats the Republicans need to peel off in Wisconsin to win the standoff there? One. All 14 Democratic state senators have left Wisconsin to deny Republicans the quorum they need to vote on that union stripping bill. They only need one to get a quorum. If Republicans get just one of them to come back, it is over. 
the Democrats do not hold together in Wisconsin, then the place that gave us the weekend, the place that gave us unemployment benefits and workers' compensation and the eight-hour workday and the 40-hour workweek and the nation's biggest public workers' union and one of the first collective bargaining agreements for those public workers, the state that has seven towns named union, the state that gave us all of that, the state where the Super Bowl champs are collectively owned, it's going to be the start of the end of all of those rights for workers that Wisconsin earned for the country. And it's going to be the start of the end of the Democratic Party's electoral chances in not just the next election, but every election for the rest of our lifetimes. It is all hinging on the Wisconsin 14, these 14 Democrats who, for the moment, have stopped this radical anti-union bill. Jay, this is Matt from Alabama. I'm sure you're working on some kind of episode that's dealing with this whole uh, Wisconsin unions, you know, Governor Walker issue. But I uh, just kind of wanted to get in ahead of the of the, uh, the show then, I guess, and just kind of give a couple opinions. Uh, I'm a, a teacher here in Alabama, so I am part of you know the uh, the u- teacher union here. So I have been, you know, kind of following this this thing pretty closely. Uh, a couple of just things, observations, I guess, that uh, I've been seeing kind of how it's been portrayed on the news uh, by both sides is it seems like the people that are very much against these unions, these teachers, these policemen, these firemen, you know, having bargaining power with the government are some of the same ones that also were very much for, you know, things like the Citizens United case where, you know, giant corporations could also you know, have this collective bargaining power, you know, in, in, in Washington. And I know there is some levels of hypocrisy where you can turn in on a, you know, right-leaning news show and hear them talk about how these are, you know, in a very negative light, the people that are protesting in Wisconsin are, you know, these evil, bad people. But yet if they were protesting for, you know, getting rid of health care, they're patriotic Americans voicing their opinions and, you know, just... I've just noticed how it's been kind of a an example of how messed up some of our you know, main news has been. So I, I am looking forward to seeing, you know, what kind of show you present on this this topic. So uh, anyways, just wanted to call and, you know, just see if there was some kind of show you might be doing on this on this topic. And you know, I look forward to seeing it. And uh, one last thing. Uh, I really look forward to all of your musical selections by the uh, Vitamin String Quartet. Those are fantastic. And so please keep adding those because I really enjoy hearing those in between the clips. Thanks again, Jay, and I appreciate it. Have a good day. Hey, Jay. Jennifer from Detroit. Um, just calling in regard to the Keith Olbermann episode. I was uh, I'm busily trying to catch up after being out of the country for two weeks. And so um, I'm one of the 24% female listeners. I love your show. And the way that I found your show was I was looking for um, something other than Keith Olbermann. He is, I couldn't agree with you more of all your comments on Keith as far as not discounting him. 
for all the great things that he had to say, but um, his tone was getting a little too acidic for me, and um, I thought that it overshadowed, often would overshadow all of the very good points that he had to um to draw our attention to. So I love the show. I think it's great. Keep up the good work. And this is the second time I've heard 11 shows now. I think that's different from 10 shows a month. Um, so uh, again, keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And today, I really just have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Uh, I want to clear something up for you guys. Um, I hope you'll listen anyways, even though it's not the thrilling edge-of-your-seat commentary uh, you're used to getting from me. But this is especially relevant to anyone who is already a member of the show, uh, especially if you signed up for... Uh, you know, full year in advance, if you're a yearly uh, donor, uh, then this is definitely relevant to you. And to then everyone who is even considering becoming a member to support the show, uh, this is also relevant to you, and which I think is everybody. So uh, so this is relevant to everyone. Basically, what, what this is, I want to clarify something that uh, it's come to my attention that there have been at least a few people who are confused about something. So I've done what I what I feel like I can do to uh, to you know rectify this situation going forward. I've updated my website to be more clear, and I'm talking about it here to get the word out a little bit. So, um, so a, a couple of emails that I got from uh, members of the show. Thank you very much for being members in the first place. And uh, and and the, the emails that I received were that they had had uh, they had signed up for uh, yearly memberships. They'd paid for a full year membership in advance. Um, more than a year ago. And so what happened was naturally their membership renewed. And that was, you know, described accurately on the website at the time. I don't think that they would dispute that, but um, it was not made abundantly clear, maybe. Uh, it could have been made more clear that not only would it be uh, automatically renewing, but that um, there would not actually, there would not be an automatic notification before the renewal. So it's just an unfortunate piece of reality uh, when it comes to this system. PayPal, love them or loathe them. I understand most people loathe them, myself basically included. Uh, you know, they just, as far as I know, they don't have a system in place to warn people that their account is about to be charged for a yearly recurring membership uh, subscription. So, uh, so what I've done is I've updated my website and I'm telling you now that uh, if you would, you know, if you are signing up for a membership now or in the future, or if you already have and you want to be warned before your account renews, I'm happy to do that. Unfortunately, I just have to do it manually. Um, and I am, you know, way too busy and not nearly organized enough to send out messages to everyone. So I'm letting you know that if you're interested in that, uh, I can do that for you. Send me an email. I will put you on my calendar to, uh, you know, if whether you've signed up, you know, months ago or whenever, uh, or you do in the future, and this is what it says on the website, when you sign up, just sign up normally, everything's normal, nothing's really changed, but then if you want to be notified before, uh, before the renewal happens, then just drop me an email and I'll make a note on my calendar to send you an email. Uh, so it's, it's really that simple. My apologies to anyone who 
was confused in any way uh, or miffed <laughs> by uh, by not receiving a notification if you were expecting it, I take full responsibility for just not being clear enough uh, on the website, and I think that I've uh, rectified that by uh, adding adding some more language to explain exactly how it works and so on. So uh, you can check that out at the uh, the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com, of course. If you have questions, concerns of any kind, uh, you can email me, jay at bestoftheleft.com, and uh, we'll get everything taken care of for you. So that was about it. It's you know really simple stuff, but I just wanted to clear the air. And uh, now, of course, I want to thank a couple of members. Ryan W. signed up for a yearly membership back on September 22nd as a leftist. And John T. signed up for a leftist membership as well back on May 29th, a monthly recurring membership, and has stuck with the show ever since then. So huge thanks to Ryan and John and all of the members and donors to make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. Of course, everyone can support the show by telling everyone you know about it, donating your Twitter account to help me spread the word through you to your uh, friends and followers there. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by following us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always listed in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you 11 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you wanna meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who'll take you out in the open